welcome to the Thursday talk. It's been a while since we've been on here, um, but we're excited to have our podcast start today again with, with some interesting information. So welcome back, Dr. Hunley. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And I'm actually glad that we're starting this over to get information out. It's going to be an interesting year from now, you know, as CMS is, you're going to tell me changing things. And so hopefully this information will help physicians, coding and administrators. Yeah, absolutely. So today's talk um, that we're going to kind of chat about is the new evaluation and management services guide that came out from CMS August 2023. Here it is right here for those of you who are watching us on YouTube. Um, you know, it was interesting because I kind of came across this randomly um, over the last two weeks. And as I started diving into this um, and looking at some of these updates to some of the definitions and narratives, I took a minute and thought, ooh, maybe we're not communicating quite right to our physicians exactly what CMS has rolled out with this latest and greatest update. So I want to just kind of go over it with you and get your honest opinion and reaction as we talk through some of these things. So it's interesting because on the very first section, they update kind of what is determined as critical care. And I think that this is important to, to kind of remind everybody, you know, what constitutes critical care, because there's a difference between having a critically ill patient and monitoring and managing mm -hmm. somebody who is critical and doing critical care management. So they are stating that beginning in um, 2022, they want everybody to follow the AMA CPT language for the definition of critical care. So remember, there's always been in the past where um, CMS has had their narrative, the AMA has had their narrative, and sometimes they don't meet up, sometimes they do. So right now it's good that they're, they're pointing out and they're saying, okay, we're gonna follow the AMA's definition of critical care moving forward. So it says your direct delivery of care to a critically injured or critically ill patient when one or more vital organ system is acutely impaired. A probability of imminent or life-threatening deterioration of the patient's condition exists and your high complexity decision-making to treat single or multi-vital organ system failure or to prevent further life-threatening deterioration of the patient's condition that requires your full attention, which I think is really interesting that they added these words, or to prevent further life-threatening deterioration. We have not seen that narrative before by them, and I know that's something you and I, we talk a lot with when we're talking with our physicians, we talk a lot about when you're doing critical care management, you're not only managing that critically ill patient, but you're also preventing further deterioration of their condition. Yep. No, actually. So, I mean, you're right. Our, we've been beating this narrative down, you know, we've been beating this drum for a couple of years now. Um, and the, the attitudes of most physicians are, well, I'm not in the ICU, so I can't build critical care time. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a reason if you think about it, and I'm going to put on an administrator hat um, and I'm going to put on a CMS hat for a second. 
critical care time is just like you said, it's life-threatening organ function or preventing life-threatening organ dysfunction. Yep. What that really means to me as you say that, and, and I've been saying this is, if you are in the, and I'm going to give an example of a hospitalist, if you are in the ED and you are admitting the patient, you're admitting the patient. And if you think about it these days, most of our patients that get admitted, they're not, hey, we're admitting them just to monitor them. No, we're admitting them to do an intervention so they don't deteriorate. My, in my brain thoughts, there's two things that CMS and AMA are saying is acute care is critical illness. You should get paid for that because it's very acute. The other thing, not just the payment process, you're doing a lot of work and you're preventing the front end. If I sit them in the ED for three hours and go, okay, maybe, maybe I should call critical care. Maybe I shouldn't. The length of stay on those patients are going to be longer. And yeah. we've seen that, um, yeah. you know, and, and so it's not like, Hey, they're giving you free money. No, you are doing the work. You just have to document that how you're doing the work. And that's part of what we do at the provider partner is audit, monitor, go through a PDSA process, you know, that IHI world. And then we actually take those statements and put it in there. So yeah, I, I like it. Well, it's, it's interesting because this week I had a conversation with a physician and, you know, it was interesting, our interaction with each other, because I, I'll give you, I'll give you the instance. Okay. So we were looking at a note together that the external auditing company dinged. We did not do the audit, but I was helping with um, some of the clarification on, on what came back and what was said. And so this um, physician got dinged because they did not report out critical care. Here's the scenario. Patient was in the ICU, which we know just because you're in the ICU doesn't necessarily mean it's critical care, but patient was in the ICU intubated. They were trying to extubate the patient. During extubation, patient crashed decompensated rapidly. They had to put the patient back on the vent, increase the vent settings from the original. The provider said to me, this is not critical care. I took the patient off the vent, put the patient back on the vent. And I spent several minutes talking to her about, okay, listen, if you take a patient, if you're extubating a patient because you feel that they're stable, and as you extubate them, they rapidly deteriorate and crash. And you have to do another life-saving intervention to prevent them from deteriorating. That is actually critical care. And she's like, but it's not because I took the patient off the vent. Yeah, they, they deteriorated and I put them back on the vent. But in my mind, that was part of their stable status quo process. And so, so I think, I think too, part of it is, is having this clear narrative from CMS where it says prevent further life-threatening deterioration really kind of does put it more in that black and white stance for those physicians that live in that gray area where they don't know necessarily if stuff is critical. Yeah, I know. Well, that the example you gave me actually, um, that's why I shook my head and put, you know, like hit my head because <laughs> I knew you'd I, like that one. 
I have I have this concept of every day on a vent is a harm event, and that's critical to get them off the vent. So it should be critical care time, except if they deem that they'll never be off the vent, and that's chronic chronic vent yeah, management. That, that goes into uh, vent management, chronic yeah. vent management. It's but if you're trying to get them off the vent, it's a critical event, uh, yeah. and that should be critical care. So I'm sorry, that's that's just my... Being an ICU director for 10 plus years and beating that into people's heads that, you know, every day should be a time to get them off the vent. That's why it's critical care time. That's why CMS wants it critical care time because you've got to get them off the vent. Um, drives me a little nuts. The main yeah. thing, though, the, the narrative, and I'm saying this, what you're saying, what I'm seeing this narrative says is, you will hear, you'll hear hospitalists, and we do. We have gone to sites, and the hospitalists say, "Well, I am seeing the patient in the, I, I'm seeing the patient, but they're not in the ICU. They, I can't build critical care time. I'm yeah. seeing cardiologists saying, I can't build critical care time. My statement to them is, if you take away the intervention, what's going to happen to them? And if the they're going to compensate rapidly. I mean, right here, the guidelines say that your intervention, your medical decision-making is preventing further life-threatening deterioration of the patient's condition. What, what I yeah, think it, is also interesting in this, this latest and greatest update is they really break out critical care into three scenarios, which I, hallelujah, I think it's about time. And I have not talked with you about this beforehand because I, I want your honest opinion about this. So I'm going to break these up to you in the three ways that that um, Medicare and CMS has broken it up in their latest publication. The first one is concurrent critical care services with those of a different specialty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number one. There you go. Number two. Concurrent critical care services with individuals in the same specialty and the same group, follow-up care, number two. Number three, split shared encounters. And why I want to Ooh, have this conversation one. with you is because I've shadowed in the ICU with multiple physicians. At this point, I think it's been hundreds of physicians I've been in those ICUs with um the APP and the physician. And I want to kind of talk through these because I have my opinion of what I think happens in those ICUs between the APP and the physician. But I want to, I want to kind of talk through these scenarios with you and get your opinion as to what you think happens in those ICUs. Because across the country, there is such a huge discord between APPs and physicians right now because of split shared. And mm -hmm. I think based off of what I personally have witnessed, I'm not 100% sure these guys are doing split shared services. I think they're doing something a little different. So I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about this. So before we get into the whole APP um, split shared concurrent care, I want to go over the guidelines for the different specialties, because I think that is going to be key when you're working that's, with cardiology intensivists, neurosurgery intensivists. That's actually really, I will say to you, um, and, I'll, and when we get to the third one, we'll talk a little bit, because there's there's a little bit of, there's a little yeah. bit of there's, stress there's on a that lot one. Of, 
There's a lot of yeah. drama across the country about split shared right now and the mm -hmm. guidelines that were rolled out. So, But this one is very important because we consult a lot of people in the ICU. We consult cardiologists, nephrologists, you know, yeah. ID doctors. And so this is actually important for concurrent care within, you know, the ICU. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about it. And then, then I want to, I want to talk through what I've seen and what you have witnessed as a physician and being an ICU director for as long as you have. Okay. So concurrent critical care services for different specialties. Concurrent care is when one individual provides services that are more extensive than consultative services at the same time. Okay, so we already know that. This is not a consult when you are doing critical care, you are doing interventions, you are managing mm -hmm. a life-threatening life uh, deterioration, you're, you're managing vital organ system failure, okay? Yep. Not disputing that in any way, shape, or form. We cover the reasonable and necessary services of each individual providing concurrent care when each plays an active role in the patient's treatment. You may provide critical care services concurrently with one or more individual from more than one specialty to the same patient on the same date of service if the services meet the definition of critical care and are not duplicative. Okay, here's the key on that one, duplicative. Mm -hmm. So if I have a cardiologist going and seeing a patient and billing critical care, and I have an ICU doctor billing critical care. When they're saying duplicative, you can't overlap services. So whatever the cardiologist is doing, the cardiologist is managing. Mm -hmm. Whatever the intensivist is managing on all the other critical illness pieces, the intensivist is managing. You can't overlap each other yep. and double dip. And so I think that's really important because, you know, we get a lot of people who say, only the ICU doctor can build critical care time, nobody else. Or only the cardiologist can build critical care time, nobody else. Yep. So this is actually really awesome for me. And I'll ex explain to you why. Because, yes, um, we do this. But I am a physician, right? And I'm a yeah. critical care physician. I'm an intensivist, right? I live in the ICU. Um, so we have started closing ICUs. And what I mean by closing for those people that are on there is that we, the intensivist lead the unit, right? I consult people to come in and do the organs that are dysfunction. If I, they have a heart problem, I mean, I'm going to make this very simple. They're going to get a cardiology consult because they're going to manage the critical illness of that organ failure of the heart. If yeah. I have renal failure and they're going to have to go on CRT or dialysis, that nephrologist is going to manage the dialysis. If they didn't, the patient would pass away. That's critical care time. If I'm going to, if they have a GI bleed and they're bleeding, I'm going to call a GI doctor. That's critical care time. They are, they are, they are actually being consulted for an organ dysfunction to manage that organ dysfunction. Yeah. Okay. It gets a little trickier, you know, like, hey, I'm managing antibiotics. Well, they have a life-threatening infection. ID can come in and say this is critical care time because they have a life-threatening infection, right? Where it gets tricky is open ICUs, okay? Open ICUs with home critical care managing the patients or critical yeah. intensivist managing patients. And then a hospitalist jumps on board. We see this a lot.
is I'm going to consult critical care. And then I'm going to basically follow along and build critical care time on that note that the intensivist is doing the, the lead 90% of the head to toe assessment. And that's where it gets a little tricky. And that's where CMS is now defining that language very specific. Yes. Um, you know, part of things about, and we mentioned the COVID, part of the things that we learned about COVID is that intensivists in the ICU are very important. A lot of, a lot of hospitals are going to closing their units across the country for intensivist led model. HCA systems, large systems are investing huge amounts of money into intensivist led model. Well, the question is, is where do those hospitals, where do those primary care, where does that mm -hmm. come in and can they build critical care? And I like that because it defines that. All right, yeah. we, we don't so, want to kill this too much time, but this is good. Yeah, so, so I really like how specific it is um, mm -hmm. in their language. You know, guidelines sometimes are very gray, for me, this is very clear. You can't you can't duplicate services from one another. You can't double dip. But two providers, different specialties, absolutely can build critical care. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about the second one because I will be honest with you. I got super excited about this clarification in this particular um, narrative. <clears throat> Concurrent critical care services for individuals in the same specialty and same group. And then in parentheses, they have it listed as follow-up care. I don't know if yep. you can see my screen or not, okay? Yeah. Here's, here it is. When you provide the entire initial critical care service and report a 99291, any provider in the same specialty and the same group providing care concurrently to the same patient on the same date should report their time using the code for additional time intervals of 99292. Mm -hmm. Dr. Hunley, does this take us back to three years ago when we rolled out a model of the physician billing out a 99291 and the APP billing out a 99292? Yes, that and that, that actually. So, so this is the conversation I wanted to have with you because I got super excited about this. I'm not going to lie, guys. Um, this was like my Disney World. Got very excited. So shadowing physicians like I have for the last five years in the ICUs, being embedded with them during COVID, outside of COVID, what model do most of these intensivist programs have? Well, if you think about it, the classic model is, is they hire an APP, right? Or they have yeah. APPs, or in this day and age, the hospitals hire the APPs. Yep. And then the APPs do the notes, they come in and they quickly discuss the patient or, you know, sometimes they don't discuss the patient. They sign the notes, they bill the notes. And a lot of times the APPs don't have any billing. And so it's 199291 that the APPs are doing the majority of the work. Is that what you're going for? Because that's, that's well, pretty much well, Hold on. on, hold on. I'm not quite going for that yet. <laughs> we haven't even started split care. We're still on follow-up concurrent care. Because I will tell you what I, what I witnessed shadowing for so many years. So you've got the APP that comes in at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. yep. They start to put the note together. They look at all the labs. They look at everything from the night before. 
they get their notes started. Okay? Yep. Then they go and they see the patient come back, type more of their notes. At the same time, they're doing this. You've got the physician who is reviewing all the records from the last 24 hours, reviewing the 24-hour care plan. They also yep. go see the patient separately of the APP. They go see the patient, get their assessment, and then the two come together around nine o'clock for multidisciplinary rounds. Physician yeah. directs multidisciplinary rounds. You've got your pharmacist, you've got your respiratory therapist, you've got your nursing staff, you've yep. got the APP, you have the physician. You got residence galore because that's just how multidisciplinary rounds work. There's like a, a pod of 20 people floating through the hallways of the hospital doing these multidisciplinary rounds. Physician talks through what they saw earlier when they examined the patient. Um, APP talks through what they saw earlier as they examined the patient. The nurse gives the overview of the last 24 hours anything that they've had to do, any conversations they've had with family members. Physician goes in, examines the patient again, talks to the patient what with the whole multidisciplinary team around, okay? At this same time that this is happening, labs are being ordered, prescription drugs are being ordered, um, management mm -hmm. is being ordered. Then they go on to the next patient. After multidisciplinary rounds, physician goes, documents their note, dictates their note, their, their piece. And they're, what they're doing right now is they're doing an attestation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The APP is the one who is, you know, documenting the bulk of the note. They, they start the note. That's just how some of these work models have been set up. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at it, and then after that first initial encounter of the day, the APP is the one who actually from, you know, noon to seven o'clock at night is yep. taking calls, managing, doing follow-up, concurrent follow-up of that patient outside of that first interaction. And that happens until they leave shift. Well, then guess what? Another APP, another physician yep. comes in and they pick up and they start doing that concurrent follow-up care throughout the day. Okay. This is where I think we have potentially missed the mark with critical care groups because, and granted, this has only come out recently, okay? So this is very new, and this is why we are doing this podcast is because we want to get this message out. So we know that concurrent critical care is for initial individuals in the same specialty, the same group, and it is classified as follow-up. I wanna read really quickly the split shared guidelines, okay? I thought I had it tagged, but I didn't. Okay, so split shared guidelines in this same document are this, a split or shared service in an e is an ENM visit where both the physician and the nurse practitioner or um, physician assistant in the same group, each personally perform part of a visit that one could otherwise bill if provided by only one of them. We pay the provider who performs the substantive part of the visit, okay? Mm -hmm. 
So here is where I think the difference is between concurrent and split share. Concurrent is when physician documents their piece. piece. They have their own separate note. They have documented that they have done the initial critical care service, okay? Then the APP documents their own note. They're not doing an attestation and tying into each other's note. Both notes are standalone. Mm -hmm. Therefore, one can bill the 99291. The other one can bill the 99292 because they are yep. truly providing concurrent care throughout the day. Now, what I think is really interesting, and I actually had a conversation with a physician about this recently. This new guideline does not talk about duplicative services. And I don't know if you remember multiple versions in the past talked about how you can't have any sort of duplicative service to be able to count for critical care, critical care follow-up. What this follow-up time says is it says, when one provider begins the initial critical care service but does not meet the time needed to report CPT mm -hmm. code 99291, another provider in the same specialty and same group can continue to deliver critical care to the same patient on the same date. You would combine the total time providers spend to meet the required time to bill. Once you meet that cumulative time, to report 99291, only an individual in the same specialty, same group, can report the 99292 when they provide additional 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in here does yeah. it say anything about duplicative because we know through follow-up care, you are following up. There is going to be some duplication when you're following up, when you're making sure that the treatment plan that was outlined earlier in the multidisciplinary rounds is working the way that it is supposed to. Yeah, no, and that's that makes sense. I mean, to, where, to make it very short. Yeah, where split share comes into play is it says for split share, two providers perform part of the visit. What I am seeing yeah. and what I have seen for years is there's not two providers performing part of the visit. You've got the physician who's performing a visit, the nurse practitioner who's performing a visit, or the PA, and they're managing these patients over a 24-hour period of time. Yep. Whereas, you know, you don't have a physician going in and saying, you do the medical, you do the history and the physical exam, I'm going to do the medical decision-making for this visit. It, that's not really the model that I have seen in a lot of these critical care units. I'm seeing more of the concurrent, the follow-up, the full 24-hour care. And I wanted to get your opinion as a physician. What do you think, based off of these two things that I told you, concurrent versus split shared, what do you think that you have seen happening in your ICUs based off of these guidelines do you think that we're doing more split shared or do you think that the model that is out there is more concurrent care so all okay so i'm going to take both of them together because we got to talk about models so what you describe in the model is multidisciplinary rounds which is what cms and ama and everybody you know in the world is going from 
the war units, multidisciplinary rounds to uh, to basically um, the university or tertiary systems, which I'm in and you've rounded on multiple, what you described yeah. there. In that situation, let's say it's not a resident driven, it's an APP. I have a unit that's very APP driven. Um, they come in just like you said, 5 a.m., you know, 5.30, review, the physicians are reviewing separate, separate worlds, right? Yeah. And in fact, most of the time the physicians examine the patients before the rounds, talk to the nurses with them, walk through, <laughs> do all that, which counts on their time. I always tell people that. The review of your documentations, right? Drinking coffee, looking at radiology, labs. Remember, say I reviewed labs, images, et cetera, count for your time. Yeah. That's a separate, you guys are both, you're not looking at the same computer screen. You're different places usually, different environments, different times. Then multidisciplinary rounds is extensive. The physicians led multidisciplinary rounds. Decisions are made with you know, nutrition, yeah. uh, pharmacy, you know, case management, et cetera, count for that time. The afternoon, as the physicians are doing documentation, they're not the ones, if I use Epic, is on the Epic chat. Usually they take the doctors off the Epic chat and use the APPs to do the bulk of the, I call it lieutenant work, okay, on the ground. I need this thing. I need this thing, right? Um, but the physicians are still documenting. But isn't that when they pull in the APP and say, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, isn't that yeah. viewed more as follow-up care? Actually, no, because let's talk about follow-up care. Okay. Okay. Every day, in the ice, let's just take about critically ill patients. If I'm critically ill, I'm constantly, I'm getting... I mean, I get called and, or messaged on my, I'm going to use Epic, right, on my haiku constantly, right? From the moment I admission all the way through, it's the continuum of care of that patient. Follow-up care is, I did something, let me follow up on that intervention. Let's see how that worked. Follow-up care really is, and this is my opinion, okay, so AMA, don't kill me, um, but your job in the first in your critical illness of the icu is to why i'm in that unit constantly is i'm in that unit constantly the apps were constantly working on that patient to get them out of critical need to get them out of the icu you know and so is that follow-up care yeah i'm well i admit the patient i see the patient for 24 or 12 hours and i'm there i'm constantly following up on them yes yeah but is it continuous of care absolutely that's the model well so so they lump concurrent concurrent mm -hmm. critical care and follow-up care in the same bucket yep and that's so, exactly what i just said kind of exactly exactly and what i really like about this particular document is this is the first time we have ever seen such black and white where they define it into three areas and truly from what i have witnessed I don't know necessarily that there's a whole lot of split shared critical care services going on in ICUs. Well, the, let's talk about the other model. Okay. Yep. Let's talk about the other model. So I'm going to take an outside hospital that's 10 miles down the road from a tertiary care center, right? Yeah. 
the intensivist comes in, he rounds, and then he goes and does other things all day long, is not present in the building. Okay? Not but, present in the building. But that's not classified as split shared because the definition specifically for split shared is it clearly states here a split share a split or shared service is an ENM where both the physician and the nurse practitioner in the same group each personally perform part of a visit. Okay. So that's part of a visit. Concurrent care is where you know each provider does their thing, but there's follow-up throughout the day. So to me, the difference between the two is concurrent care is where, you know, the APP does their thing, the physician does their thing, but there's follow-up throughout the day. And there are two separate notes documenting, this is what the physician did. And this is everything that the APP has done throughout the remainder of their shift to take care of that patient and to follow up on the needs of that patient. Where I like that. That's a good definition. So split shared is, to me, when it says each doing part of one visit. So to me, that is where there's one visit, the nurse practitioner is doing the history, the physical exam, the physician comes in and says, I'm responsible for the medical decision making, I'm going to do the medical decision making on this. That visit, once that physician is done, it's over, they're gone, they leave. And so if if we're truly doing um, concurrent care and follow-up where that APP is the one who is managing that patient outside of that, that first initial encounter, you know, they should be able to get credit for all of those follow-ups, all of that stuff that they are doing. And that's, that makes sense in the ICU. Okay. It does because technically you need somebody you need somebody around constantly, right? Yeah. And so um, and concurrent, I, concurrent care makes very much sense in the ICU models. Where the consultative services, I think what you're saying by the split share is what I would, my concept well, is. So, so here's, here's, I think, where the big difference is, okay? Mm-hmm. Concurrent care, each provider has to document their note. They each have to show what they are doing. You know, one provider is going to bill the initial 99291, and then every provider after that 99291 is billed is going to bill the 99292, but Mm -hmm. their note needs to show what they are doing in follow-up throughout the day. Yep. I think this is going to be a key for our physicians that are listening. You have to have your own separate documentation. You have to indicate what you are personally doing Same with the APP. Own documentation, they have to document what they are doing. And copy-paste is not going to be the way to do this. You each have to document. Now, let's get real. We've been in hospitals now going on six years together, right? Mm -hmm. We know copy-paste is a big thing. If the providers are going to copy paste, they absolutely have to make meaningful changes. I need to be able, especially now that the the, um, EMRs are so savvy, where I can toggle over it and see exactly what was copy paste. If you are going to copy paste, because I know 
those of you who are listening to this are going to do it anyways, even though we say it's not best practice, you have to make meaningful changes. If you do not make meaningful changes, it's going to look like it is one, one note or an attestation. And I think the difference with the split shared is because a lot of times the split shared is where everything is documented in one note. You have the APP stuff at the top. You have the physician's attestation at the bottom for what they did. Mm -hmm. And so I think really and truly the difference, at least from a coding perspective of what I'm going to be looking at. And I had a lot of conversations with with my peers and other compliance officers over the last several days talking about this specifically is if you're going to do concurrent care, each provider has to document their notes separately from one another to show that who did the first initial visit and then what the follow-up was for that 24 hour period of time. If you're going to do split shared, Split shared is looked at more like a combined note, one with another, where the provider is doing a very simplistic part of the note and the bulk of the note is coming from the APP. Um, and they're really, the way that the documentation reads is they're really sharing that visit instead of having their own separate encounters, doing their own separate um, events with that patient and that consistent follow-up. So what, okay. And this, this goes back to physician's perspective. Yeah. So documentation sucks. I'll give everybody a little hint. If you want to see how, how, how your note is, if you're an Epic follower, you can actually default to see what's new on a note, right? And it will gray out what's old and bright and what's new. Yep. It's in the default. Um, the question is, is let's just talk about, Day one critical care time is really easy. We document a consult or an H&P, and then we document what we've done through the day. Yep. The next day, as the APPs are gathering all the information, you actually, and it is very efficient to write your own note, have a template for events that you did, you know, dot problem, and then your interventions below it. That's pretty much all you need for a critical care time. As your opinion, you know, and what you're doing as the APPs are doing stuff and the time that you put in. Um, so I want to interrupt you really quick on that because yes. a lot of the notes that I have seen lately from physicians are where they just give me a laundry list of what's going on with the patient, but they don't connect the dots to say, here is the vital organ system failure, and this is the interventions that I'm doing. There's a lot of times, um, at least what we have seen recently in some of the notes, is they will list interventions, but at the side, they'll say um, cardiology is following, uh, neurology is taking care of this, physical therapy is doing this, respiratory therapy is managing the vent. And so when you're wanting to do, yeah, I saw your eyebrows raised. I did see that recently. If you're wanting to count critical care time for yourself, you have to indicate what you are doing, mm -hmm. not what everybody else under the sun is doing. Sorry, well, Anna, that, I wanted to add that in. Yeah, and that goes into having a conversation of multidisciplinary rounds and being the, the leader and the director of the, the unit. 
if yeah. you are truly in there, you're saying I am managing the pressers for a map of 65, you know, uh, STEMI, we are starting aspirin, we're starting this, we're starting that, we're monitoring pulmonary, you know, respiratory failure, secondary to, you know, pulmonary edema, we are giving, you know, 40 of Lasix with metolazone. Those interventions that I'm showing, you know, this is the thing, this is what I'm doing. That actually is efficient way of doing it. Um, where it gets into it is just listing a bunch of problems, saying these are life-threatening illnesses that I'm looking at and doing it without defining. And that's that's best practice. And technically, it's best practice to communicate with the team um, to do that. You know, and so it it's easy to come in and write a, just write an attestation note and bill it. And some hospitals actually don't want because they haven't realized that the the opportunity for their APPs that they actually don't even want the APPs to build. It's in their bylaws. It's in this, right? Yeah. That's going to change. And that's a mindset, a paradigm, because um, as we all know, um, and actually I wanted to pull a closing article on this. Uh, I just actually on just came across and I read it in the emergency medicine uh, workforce newsletter. And it was uh, investors are shocked that hospital-based physician losses are as great as they are after the No Surprise Act. Okay. It's a very, very good article out there for you all to read because it talks about large corporations that come in and buy physician groups or have shares in physician groups, private equity groups. And what they say is the physicians, and the article actually says it's okay that the physicians lose money because the hospitals make money. The opportunity that we're talking about right now in this whole concept, and I go back and look at it, is proper documentation and understanding how to use concurrent care. And I'm going to say emergency medicine is very good at critical care time because they see it, they bill it, they send it out the door. Hospitalists, very bad at critical care time. And yet they're sitting there looking at these patients going, I'm going to have to admit this to the unit, give it much or not, or the floor, give give them Lasix, manage BiPAP, do all that. That's critical care time. That is a lost revenue and you are working hard for that. Well, and not even just hospitalist groups, intensivist groups, because Mm -hmm. this whole narrative, this whole dangerous narrative that is out there about, you know, the former split shared guidelines and the APPs taking away the work to use from the physicians, Mm -hmm. it's credit and this, that, and the other, where I feel like this August 2023 document from CMS has really hit the nail on the head is It depends on the model that you have set up in your health system, but at least the health systems that I have personally shadowed these providers, been boots on the ground in those ICUs, I am not seeing a split shared encounter. I'm not seeing one visit that each provider does part of the visit. What I am seeing is there is rounds in the morning, multidisciplinary rounds, physician taps out and 
and says, listen, APP, I need you to, to follow up and concurrently manage this patient mm -hmm. throughout the day. If you have something emergent that comes up, call me, we'll go through it, we'll take care of it. But based off of the models that I have seen in multiple health systems, I really feel like they're doing a lot more concurrent care than split shared. Yep. And I feel like educating physicians and APPs on the concurrent care model based off of what they are doing in their system right now helps to take out some of that dangerous narrative that has been going on over the last year about this split shared conversation because a lot of these groups are not really doing split share based off of what I have personally seen. I mean, what what are your opinions? You live it. I just shadow every once in a while. No, I mean, to be honest with you, well, I mean, we're, we're plugging ourselves because we've been saying this model for three or four, maybe six years. The, the real concept is, is that everybody's doing the same, everybody's working. And how do you justify in a CMS, AMA, you know, compliance, because compliance yeah. is the most important aspect. Um, and it all depends on the model you set up, you know, and as we start to close this, this podcast out, I'm going to give a plug is that models are important. Understanding the way you document, understanding the way your workflow and matching documentation is beyond important for the success. Back to the concept of my opinion of the article I just kind of read was that yeah. people like to buy physician groups, but they never want to actually change and understand models to optimize physicians, their workflow, because basically it's workflow. You know, a note takes a while. So how do you match good workflow with notes, good workflow in your hospitals in order to you become more efficient, bill properly, document properly, and take care of the patients. Yeah, Most and, well, and I, would, I would argue that patient care is going to be always key, making sure yep. that that patient is taken care Absolutely. of. So, so being able to balance the rules, the regulations, and getting paid for the hard work that you are doing, mm -hmm. because I know I have watched providers run non-stop for 12 hours straight and have no breaks for the bathroom, no breaks to eat, um, mm -hmm. especially in these critical care units when they have very sick patients and they are doing critical care management. Sometimes you never know what you're going to get in those environments. And so to be able to help create models that groups can get paid for the hard work that they are doing and they can optimize and maximize that reimbursement is something that I know is very near and dear to my heart and to yours. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we don't want to go on and on about this in closing because it's a long podcast this time, but very important. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, what I took out of this podcast is the ways that a concurrent and concurrent, not just for the same providers in the same, I mean, in the same groups. I'm talking about intensivist and intensivist in that 24-7 model, the intensivist and the APPs in, in that closed intensivist model. But not just that, but your specialties of, you know, who can build critical care time in the unit is extremely important. And that models matter, you know, and once again. Absolutely. 
So for any of you that are listening that want to see this Medicare Learning Network document for yourself, it is MLN 006764 dated August 2023. Yep. So, and once again, we thank you for our podcast. It's a long, this one's a long one. I think it's very important because as we start to, as we start to, get financially uh riskier you know environments these days and and hospitals and hospitalists and intensivists and physicians it's real important to how to understand how you your work should take care of the patients really well most important right and streamline documentation if you are very interested in learning more information with us the provider partner what we do is we basically help physicians and hospitals and groups large groups small groups make your life better and enhance your ability to do what we're talking about yeah so thanks to you guys for joining us for this really long podcast this go round And we look forward to um, inviting you back for our next Thursday talk. That will be in two weeks. Have a won't be that long. (laughs) It won't be that. Yeah, it won't be months on end. Uh, In two weeks, we'll be coming back to you with another Thursday talk. So have a great rest of your week. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Bye.